Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What's Happening in Travel with uh, Kushro and um, Kerwin. Or maybe I should start again and have Kushro say Kushro. <laughs> so, no, that's all right. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, but let's do it again. Welcome to another episode of What's Happening in Travel. And I'm here with my buddy, Kushro. There we go. <laughs> and I am Kerwin. And this is episode 65. Um, episodes in episode 64, we actually went a little longer than anticipated, and which we always do anyway. So we're anticipating this episode to be half an hour, but that's not going to happen. So um, uh, and we're recording this on Tuesday, January 26th, and you'll probably get it at some point after that, maybe some point in February, but, uh, but we'll see. That's not very reassuring. Uh, no, well, you know what, you know, with podcasts, right, you always end up because we're not a daily podcast, although um, okay. we could be. <laughs> That's too much work. But um, yes, I normally post them uh, a little time in the future. Okay. Yeah. So hopefully, I'm actually, if I catch up this week, I'll be able to post them all this week. Um, but what background do you have, Kusha? Uh, I have, again, another shot of the Amur Tiger faced Rosia 74400. Uh-huh. But I, I think it's one of the best paint jobs ever God, done yeah. on an aircraft. And is, it, is this a passenger one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's a, okay. So I'll move your head to the, to the left or right a little bit. Ah, there you go. It's dead on. So where does that tiger come from? Amur. It's the Siberian tigers. Oh, it's okay. to draw attention to um, their habitat and preserving them and all that. Yeah. Do they get poached? Yes, they do. Okay. Yeah. Just, just, yeah, so. people. Um, and I've got the interior cabin of the A350-900 ULR from um, the ultra long range from Singapore, which uh, about a year ago, actually a year ago in two days, I flew it from Singapore to um, from New York to Singapore, which is the world's longest flight. Although that's changed now, right? It's uh, did they bring it back? I know they brought JFK back as a JFK is back, yeah. But they're not doing Newark, right? No, they're not. Yeah, and they're not using this plane, which is really interesting. Um, they're using yep. the, the regular 900. Yeah. Which it did make any sense because they made a big deal about using this one, getting the ULR, getting special configuration. Because if you notice in the picture, um, in the back of the plane, it tapers to a one, uh, one, three, one, one, four, one, four, one. And so if you have the back, you have like all that extra space. So if you're ever flying on that plane, um, get the last, I think it's the last four rows, if you can. Mm. Um, because yeah. you sit by oh, yourself. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. You sit by yourself. And um, so it's kind of it's kind of cool. I didn't get a chance to go back there and sit because, you know, I had, I had a business class seat. So <laughs> I think I'm really surprised they're doing the 900 instead of, why did they buy the ULR? Yeah, I don't, I don't get that either. Um, but, really, they had a yeah, reason, but exactly right. So it's one of the decisions you go. Okay, I don't understand it, because if the whole idea was weight management, and you know, getting yeah. the maximum out of the plane, well, the, the nine hundred does it. So are you maybe with, not with the loads that they expect in normal times? Probably. So they must be weight restricting yeah. it and all that kind of good stuff. Mm. I wonder if Qantas will now go ahead for Project Sunrise. Well, they so did. Australia to, I know. they. It's not dead. They decided on it. Yeah, it's not dead. So um, They haven't ordered it. Yeah. So uh, maybe. So, but then they have decided they're going to take the, um, the 350 or the 789, right? Did they decide? I, they decided on the 350. Oh, the did 351. they? 351. Okay. Yes, they did. Yeah. For Project Sunrise. Yeah. Okay, and Project Sunrise, if you guys are wondering what that is, it's where um, Australia to London is so far. So they're trying to find innovative ways to do it nonstop. And so they Sydney, had a- Sydney, London, yeah. Um, Sydney, yeah. So they had, a, um, they had a project that they were doing and it's called Project Sunrise. They're doing tests and stuff like that. And they got a whole bunch of people and scientists came on so, and tested how their body relates to waking up at different yep. times in different time zones. Um, but they're still okay. flying Perth. We're getting hopelessly, hopelessly sidetracked. 
but that's but this is a good one though, right? So they still find Perth to London, right? Uh, no, no. Australia, Australia has shut. Qantas is starting in the third quarter of twenty twenty one. But they're doing car- but they're doing cargo anyway. I don't know if they're doing cargo. Oh, okay. And I think they're going to. They were. They were said they were going to require people to be um, just to be vaccinated or to be yes. You see, vaccinated. Okay. That's what Alan Joyce, the CEO, said. Yeah. And he said this long ago. He was the first one that said this, right? Yeah. Everyone is up in arms about it. All right. So, uh, more fun stuff this week. Uh, We are going to talk about. Um, this is kind of the 737 Max episode because, as you know, the 737 Max started flying. Was it in December? The 29th. Yeah. American um, Air. Actually, that's not. Yes, right. that is correct. Uh, in, it started with Gol. With Gol, right? Which is G O L there in Brazil. There, um, and then Aeromexico. Uh, and then um, American. American. And so uh, next, we're waiting. We're waiting. Oh, WestJet started. Last week. Yeah. On the twenty first, exactly, and so uh, it'll probably be United and Air Canada coming. No, Air Canada too. starts Feb first. Okay, I'm surprised I remember all these dates. I know, good job, Kisha. And then Wait. I think Feb eleventh is United. Okay. Uh, March early is Alaska, and Southwest is also sometime in March. Okay. And Europe so- is actually giving approval this week. Ninety nine point nine percent that EASA will give clearance to uh, allow the 737 MAX to fly in Europe this week. Got you. So what's the 0.1%? Because they haven't issued it yet, and it's Tuesday already. Oh, that's funny. Well, it's probably almost Wednesday yeah. in Europe, right? Um, all right. Uh, no. Well, yeah, you know, six hours. Business already closed, so it's almost Wednesday. They won't do anything else today. And somewhere in Europe. Well, yeah. Um, But anyway, so yeah. So So WestJet uh, started because Canada first operations, right? They did it on the twentieth of January. Um, Transport Canada, which is the regulatory agency there, they stipulated some changes they wanted to the. Um, max uh, systems and yeah. uh, it really wasn't a surprise so WestJet was able to get that done and they started uh, they're actually doing thrice a week three times a week Calgary Toronto round trips uh, there are I believe six flights a day between the two cities and one of these on three days a week is a 737 max ah okay so, um, so yeah, they went off without a hitch until um, I believe the second day, right? When um, one of the aircraft uh, uh, on pushback, I believe, got some cockpit warning light. Um, so they decided to be extra cautious and found it was nothing related, and it was just another gremlin because the aircraft had been in storage. Yeah. So this was his yeah. first flight. Um, and um, it was back in service the next day. Yeah, people just make a a nothing out of any little thing to do at the max these days. Yeah, and then they're going to start, WestJet is also going to start between Calgary and Vancouver, Um, and um, they're going to then add Montreal, Ottawa, Edmonton, Halifax, and um, uh, Winnipeg. Oh, okay. But there's no information on when Sunwing, which is the leisure slash charter operator, mm-hmm. is going to start services to the Caribbean and Mexico. Mm. So, and then as we said, EASA in Europe is going to most likely announce uh, that European flights of the MAX can start this week. Gotcha. So it's interesting you talk about Caribbean travel, um, not Max related, but because you mentioned Sunwing, um, I saw uh, one of our avid listeners sent me a note, and um, apparently, uh, an avid listener, really? Yeah, yeah, he listens all the time, and um, he comes back and he gives me reports on uh, on, on what we talk. So most of the questions I get from him. 
Okay. And uh, and he's quite good. He's in Canada. And so uh, he always comes back and he he he, he comes. He, he, I don't have any more questions from him, but he did send notes about Air Transit. Um, they have flights from, uh, I think it's Haiti. And two of their flights have actually come in with, um, oh boy, with uh, coronavirus positive uh, folks. So they're trying to think what, you know, what they can do um, mm. uh, about that. So when you mentioned the Caribbean flights, um, Sunwing and Sunwings is normally who does that. But now because, um, yeah, well, Air Transit does them as well. So I thought I'd bring that up. Mm. But so does Rouge, right? Yes. Yeah. In fact, Rouge was set up, Air Canada Rouge was set up for that very purpose, for leisure destinations. Yeah, so that'd be uh, interesting. I didn't realize that Sunwing was one of the, every time you say Sunwings, I think of the one in, I think of Smartwings. Okay. Which is the ones in, one in Czech Republic. <laughs> uh, Sun Express. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, all right, good. So the max is on its way, and um, uh, <laughs> so there's more news about it. Uh, Bo is Boeing having bad publicity about the max again? Like, so just when you thought it couldn't, the this beleaguered aircraft couldn't get any more negative publicity. Yeah, it gets it. Boeing actually discovered this um, in April of 2020, that 25 of these 737-9 yeah. uh, maxes uh, were delivered to customers without a fuel sealant being in the um, production process on the wings of the aircraft where most of the fuel is stored. So there was a likelihood that if there was a fuel leak um, or if there was some sort of issue um, and they have these blowout doors, which are a safety valve essentially to yeah. release fuel, um, the leakage would eventually make its way down to the engine, which is hot surface and oh, we don't, we could don't want catch that. fire. Yeah. So apparently it wasn't too much of a worry because the FAA has just issued um, a notification, this, what they call a NOTAM, notification to airmen mm -hmm. based on Boeing's uh, directive. Right. That airlines need to um, check this and uh, replace the sealant, which apparently takes about four hours of labor to complete. Um, unfortunately, United is the carrier that's most affected because they have 14 of the 29 aircraft affected. The others are Copa in Panama, which has six. Fly Dubai has three. Iceland Air and Turkish Airlines have one each. Yeah. So actually, I'm amazed at how they discovered that just 29. Because it was probably... Others didn't. Yeah, so you know what that is? It's like when the, when you see, uh, you know when they do those re production recalls? Yes. And um, Or whenever you open a package and it says package uh, packed by number two? Yeah. It's kind of that, right? They realize that, oh, it, it um, happened to one of them. And then they go back and they look at everything that was produced using but, that particular part. But these aircraft were produced between April 2018 and February 2019. Yeah. And so Boeing discovered this in April 2020. Probably How did just that do, slip by? Because they're probably just reviews. And, um, and that happens. I mean, the company is so large. Two years uh -huh. later? Yeah. I mean, that kind of stuff. I, I mean, God knows what else is out there, right? Uh, well, I, and that happens. Do we want to know? No, we don't want to know. But, uh, but, you know, but when you so, have recalls, that's what happened to recalls, right? They go back and they... True, yeah. They realize, or they go back and they inspect. Remember this, and the, the thing with this too is um, not all these airplanes were delivered, right? So there's probably still some with the same problem that's sitting undelivered, I guess. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So who knows? True. Yeah. Um, but you know, the good thing, it's weird because this kind of stuff does happen when you have these large manufacturing things. Mm. No, but Boeing has been under a lot of fire lately mm -hmm. for sloppy manufacturing. Like, like you remember exactly. the 787 story? 
where yeah. airlines were complaining that tools were left behind on the planes. Qatar Airways refused to accept 787s that came from South Carolina. Well, you know, this is what so, happens, right? When you, when you farm... Because of quality. Exactly. We, we've talked about this before, right? Where you move the stuff from Seattle yep. and these guys know what they're doing and you go and you hire these people who don't really care. It's a job, right? So you don't have... And this happens in the airline industry all the time. Um, and I don't know why. I know they're always trying I to say... I think it's more than that for aircraft manufacturing, though, because it becomes literally a life and death issue, though. But they do it anyway because they still, but they still farm it out. And whenever so, you, whenever you farm uh, things out, that's always going to happen because the person you farm it out to, they may not necessarily care as a, as a, as a quote unquote, you know, core employees. Yeah. And and I wish that manufacturers of everything would would figure this out. But sadly, this is never going to stop for sure. I mean, yeah. it should actually. I, there's this new report that I read in the BBC yesterday. Yeah. About this one whistle. Did you hear about that? The whistleblower mm -hmm. at Boeing who said there have been endemic problems at Boeing because of the rush to um, raise production levels. There have been shortcuts taken in the production process, especially of the 737 MAX mm -hmm. and the NG, which is the prior generation. Right. Now, I don't know how, how true that is, but I mean, you have to give it some credence. Yeah. So and, I don't know what's going to happen with that. It hasn't got a lot of press, but um, it's got some publicity. Yeah, that's so, that's just so, so weird. We'll see but, what happens. And, and the thing is, you hope, desperately needs a break. Yes, they do. But, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing that what they're doing is they're going back and looking at all the processes that they have. And this is probably how they discovered this issue. Yep. Um, and they probably will discover more things um, that that happen in between. Mm. And, and, you, and you know how corporate life is. You know, one guy says, "Hey, you shouldn't do this," and people are like, "Well, shut up and go away." And then later, something happens, and you're like, "Oh well, I told you so, but you didn't listen." Corporate. Um, I did have a thought on. Uh, it, I just had a thought. Um, have we heard any updates about the seven thirty seven? Was it 500 that crashed in Indonesia? No, they did not. I know they found the black This box. is the problem with the press. No, they didn't find the voice. Uh, but they found the other one, right? Yes. I'm, I'm actually quite surprised that given how they knew exactly where it went down, they haven't found the voice cockpit voice recorder, well, it went down which is very important. It went down in the ocean, right? Right. Yeah, so yes. it's, it's probably um, And... Uh, uh, this aircraft was in storage and uh, apparently, again, was its, one of its first flights after yeah. storage. So they think it may have something to do with the way the uh, plane was, um, I don't want to say treated, but the way it was handled yeah. before it was uh, put back into regular commercial service. Um. And you know we've had so, some stories about finding cobwebs and um, yeah uh, insects that's and right. stuff in the pitot tube. That's so right. I would think that um, they need probably need to airlines need to revise their we're back in service thing uh, because a lot of airplanes have been sitting out there. Yep. Uh, yep. And, and we've we've seen this time and well we know we're not, we're not we don't know if that's. What causes the term is armchair quarterbacking? Is that right? Um, well, precise without knowing all the details. No, no. Well, we're not talking about this particular one. We're saying that uh, I mean, armchair quarterbacking is when you go, "Well, I'm more of an expert than the person who's actually doing this stuff." Expert. Yes, yes. but um, we're talking about the. Um, we have had reports of airplanes that had issues because yes insects growing that is inside correct. the thing yeah so what i'm saying is that we need to it looks like the industry needs to take a look again at how we store airplanes um mm -hmm. to make sure you know things like this doesn't happen and maybe maybe they have to go back and check them more often maybe they have to more be more detailed when they when they mm. check them but uh but hopefully yeah. and yeah, this is one 
it's a big ocean, Kusho. So that box is probably, I mean, remember an, an entire airplane that had disappeared in the ocean and we still can't find it. Right. Um, this was relatively close to the coast though. Yeah. Um, and remember it was four minutes after takeoff from uh, Jakarta, so, but still. Yeah, I mean, four minutes at what? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure in several months we will really get far. the final uh, yeah. conclusion. But you know, because Boeing has to be involved. Yeah, yeah, and NTSB, I think, is there helping them too, mm-hmm. which is the National Transport and Safety Board. The interesting thing with these um, accidents is that because it didn't happen in America, and no uh, one cares. Yeah, no one cares, and because it didn't, you know, there were I don't know if there was any Americans on board. I don't think there's any reported. Then again, no one cares. Um, and our world is really weird when things like this happen because we've had a we've had a lot of crashes that happened. Yeah, you don't you hear nothing about nothing it. about them. They, they're not even they don't even made a ticker tape on the news, or barely a blip. Yeah, but as soon as we get more updates, we will let you know. Um, but I, it just came across my mind because you mentioned seven thirty seven. Yeah, uh, and I did see something that said they found one of the black boxes. Yes, they did. Okay, well, because there are two, yeah. and I think the important one is the. Uh, voice recorder because there was no mayday call issued yeah. by the pilot. So it seems like it was a sudden um, issue. So, but, you know, in, just in terms of technology, we don't have any technology that's better than what we have currently for the black boxes. Like, yep. should, shouldn't we, I mean, we can make satellite calls from an airplane. We can transfer yeah. data, right? We get those, te- the pilots get those teletype things that comes up as actually a paper and it comes out in a print and they read it when the offices, um, you know, send it. Why can't we use the same technology to upload yep. the data from the- Immediately, but I guess it's a volume of data. But you look in Hollywood also on TV shows or movies, yeah. well, maybe less movie. You see the interior of aircraft and you can tell that it's probably a 737-200 from right. 30 or 40 years ago. Yeah. The cabin lockers and the <laughs> design of the seat. So they haven't bothered to change that. No, they haven't. It's one of those uh, inertia things. But maybe if somebody knows that if they're, uh, maybe, maybe someone from Boeing's listening, <laughs> although we don't make any friends with Boeing here. <laughs> but um, you would think that we'd have some type of technology that captures the data in real time. Because remember that that plane, um, the one that went, the Airbus one that went down uh, off the coast of Brazil? Yeah. Air France. Yeah, the Air France one. Yeah. They were transmitting data. Yeah. So if, if they can transmit that data, why can't they do the, the data that's stored in those black boxes? I don't understand that. Right? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, maybe somebody can yeah. help us. Um, all right. More Boeing stories. <laughs> uh, but now it's actually cool, right? They're, um, they're putting a feather in their cap. What are they doing? <laughs> um, they have announced um, January 27th. Yeah. Um, that, uh, no, that's not correct. It was this week, actually. Uh, the 22nd, that they are going to make all their aircraft 100% compatible with um, uh, sustainable aviation fuel, or as they call them, SAF, by 2030. Uh, Now, Boeing has pledged to become um, carbon neutral by 2050. Um, And so by making this pledge to make all their aircraft compatible using 100% blend of sustainable aviation fuel by 2030, that puts them well on the path of meeting that goal by 2050. Yeah. So um, what I was wondering is why is there such a big deal about sustainable aviation fuel versus regular aviation fuel? And um, it turns out that SAFs are made from a variety of feedstocks, um, including some non-edible plants, 
agricultural and forestry waste, non-recyclable household waste, industrial plant off gassing, where they release their energy. Yeah. And uh, there's actually, uh, I don't want to say it's a convention, but there is something called a round table on sustainable biomaterials that has to classify that a particular type of fuel is sustainable. And the big problem is, is that the volumes need to be there in order ah, to meet okay. the requirements of the global air transport industry. Because commercial flying accounts for 2% of global carbon emissions and about 12% of uh, all transport emissions. Um, and that's according to this group called the Air Transport Action Group. Um, and what Boeing's challenge is, is to decide what they have to do to their own aircraft. It ha they have to also collaborate with the engine makers to see what, if any, modifications need to be done. Mm -hmm. And they also have to collaborate with um, different agencies around the world to lift the maximum of 50-50 um, blend that is currently in place. Uh, okay. To mix 50% yeah. um, sustainable versus 50% uh, um, regular kerosene fuel. That's the maximum blend that is currently allowed. But uh, Boeing has done their own demonstration, own uh, research with their eco demonstrator mm -hmm. that I remember Continental Airlines had yeah. Most recently, Etihad had with the 787. And um, what they have found is that um, in 2018, this was started, by the way, in um, 2008, this plan for sustainable aviation fuel. And they started conduction, they started the flying and approval for sustainable fuels in 2011. And then in Boeing, in 2018 rather, Boeing demonstrated the first commercial flight with 100% sustainable fuel uh, with a FedEx Boeing 777 freighter. Oh, okay. So um, they have got considerable experience under their wing already, but now uh, to expand this, is going to take a little more uh, effort and time. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. So, but, but going back to the your thing you said, so uh, it, it said aviation account for 2% of the... That is correct. <laughs> and so... Of global and, carbon emissions, yes. It, but, but people... Commercial go, aviation. Yeah, but people go, go bonkers about aviation, yes. right? about yes, how we're, we're polluting. And I'm like, so so what's the biggest? Did that, that report didn't say what the biggest was, right? But the, no, it's well known that the biggest is agriculture. <laughs> so. And it, it's, it's, so, it's so funny and hypocritical, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's weird because um, uh, up, up near the airport is a, a huge forest. And uh -huh. they I haven't been back up there, of course, lately, but um, I think maybe a year or so ago, they chopped down the whole thing. And they're uh, doing it relentlessly. Yes. They didn't just take a little bit. They took like an entire piece out. And I know what they're doing. They're going to build houses there. Yep. And uh, then these, so these developers are chopping down the forest and building all these homes just so they could make all this money. And, uh, and that era floods. So that's the funny thing about that, right? And, and the, then the people are going to complain about noise, aviation exactly, aircraft noise. Exactly, because it is right by the airport. Yep. And so the, the thing with this kind of stuff is that well, people, people complain about what they want to complain about. So nobody sees the entire forest that was cut down up there, but they go, oh, the airplanes are making noise and the airplanes are polluting. I'm like, but yep. you cut down an entire forest to build homes. And you're saying that, I mean, we need places to live, right? Um, but you can find another place because there are other places that don't have any trees that you didn't have to cut down just to build a home. Yep. Don't build the homes in the first place. Real estate developers have no qualms. Yeah, they got they got about. nothing. Um, and you know, so 
here in Houston, um, we flood every time it rains. Uh, there's at least some part of the city that floods or we have a bayou that runs through Houston and that's what's supposed to channel our waterway. Multiple bayous. Multiple bayous, right? So yeah. I went by, you ever, you ever been up to uh, attics where, they, where the reservoir is? Yes, yes. Why are people living inside the reservoir? They, they... Good question. <laughs> Literally, you, you, yep. go, you go in this, I, I've never been up there, right? I just went up there recently. And, you, and I heard about it, but I've never seen it except whenever, whenever it floods on TV and you go in this thing and you're like, there are people living inside here. Mm -hmm. This is the area that catches the water when the city floods. Why are there people living in here? And that's- And those gates that they open to release water pressure, uh -huh. guess where it floods? All the neighborhoods that are right downstream of that. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it flooded a part, a part of a neighborhood just right near, right near me here. So, That's right. I remember at that yeah. time. Yep. And not just flooded. It's eight and nine feet of water in it, houses. It was bad. We had to go down and yep. help some people. People had boats out. Um, there are parts of the neighborhood when you uh, even further down as you go down Memorial and stuff like that, that is still flooded. Uh, well, I shouldn't say it's still flooded. The houses have not been repaired and nobody yeah. lives there. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I say this because when people talk about aviation and the environment, um, we're very biased and we only see what we want to see. Um, yeah. So I'm glad that Boeing is, you know, doing, doing something so people can, can see. Um, yeah. I, um, I assume that United still has that plane that has a biofuel. I haven't seen it in... A very long time. Yeah, the eco demonstrate. Eco is yeah. eco. It's eco something. It has that green. Yeah, in green. In yeah. I've not seen it in a while. So I would love to find out, like, how is that done? Because it, it's it's one engine, right? It's not the two engines. That is correct. And so I would. It would be interesting to see, like, you know, how is it fueled? Like, what are they doing? Um, you know, how are the pipes? Yeah. Do they have to clean them more often than the other one? Or I, I wish they would follow up and tell us how it's doing because it's been a while. Yeah, but Etihad um, did a lot more recent work with Boeing on that 787. That was very prominently yeah. uh, liveried to demonstrate that. Um, so yeah, I don't know what advancements they've made with yeah. Etihad on the 787, but um, this triple seven with FedEx was a hundred percent. Oh wow! Okay, and I know yeah. Virgin uh, did something, but I think it might have been the seven four sevens, which they don't have anymore. It's uh, I don't know. Okay, but I know that Virgin was doing something. I think I'm pretty sure it was a seven four seven. So, but it would be good. I, maybe maybe I could see if I can do some research, and maybe we can do an update on the story. Because this puts pressure on Airbus now. Yeah, do yeah. the same. Well, come on, the A380 is the most environmentally friendly plane, but apparently <laughs> not. Marketing is an amazing thing, Kusha. Um, all right, so um, we have another story here about the, um, the Dash 8, uh, aka, I guess, a Q400. Um, is, it, is it done fire? Flying planes? What are they doing? I mean, current so, passengers? This was also news to me. I didn't yeah. realize that there was um, a company called Conair Group that's yes. based in um, Abbotsford in British Columbia in Canada. Uh -huh. And they are the world's largest uh, provider and owner of firefighting aircraft. So they did, um, so what they did, and the reason this got my attention is that they bought, bought up 11 of uh, Fly B, which is now a defunct British regional carrier. Yeah. Uh, of their, 11 of their Dash 8, their Q400 uh, aircraft. I didn't realize that at one point they had over 90 of these aircraft. Well, that's all they used All of fly, these, right? what's that? That's, that's almost all they used to fly. Yeah. Yeah, um, and uh, and they have been converted to, or they have been bought by Conair to be converted to a firefighting aircraft. So um, 
I found this a little interesting that um, Conair bought this these aircraft from this company called HEH, which stands for Hamburger Emissions House. You know, to a non-German, it sounds different, but I'm sure it makes perfect sense in German. I'm sure it does. <laughs> um, via the UK-based Skyworld Aviation that I guess had um, leased the planes to uh, Flybe. Fly yeah. These are all delivered to Flybe in 2007 to 2009. So they really weren't that old, but um, they're going to get delivery started in January of this year. So if they haven't already, this is to Conair in uh, Canada. Where are they delivering them to? Abbotsford? I believe so. They did not specify. Oh, dude, wouldn't that be cool? I, I, as soon as you mentioned this story, uh, I kept thinking, oh, so how are they getting them over uh, there? Just because the way the delivery flights are. Well, I know, I, but still that, that whole thing is, because uh, I know that some of the, uh, when I saw the 717s being delivered to, to Hawaii, mm -hmm. they put extra tanks inside the airplane. They took the yeah. seat and put, so I don't know, I would love to see how do they transport these Dash 8s across the ocean. Because Sorry. Embraer also does that with the 190s and 195s. Yeah. When they go yeah. to like East Asia or something like that. I know. Central cool. Asia. Yeah. Because they had that Iceland to Greenland. That's that's a little long, uh, yeah. a little long one. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. <laughs> um, so this follows, this was news to me also, very surprising, that they did a decade of research into the best solution for aerial firefighting equipment. Yeah. Um, and as I mean, for those of us who live in the US and see the devastation that forest fires cause, the aircraft are typically older designs, yeah, like from the are. 50s and 60s. Yeah, um, and military more, designs too. Yes. So, but a lot more modern aircraft are being inducted into the fleets. Um, and so there's going to be two types of uh, modified Q400s. One is the Q400 AT, which I'm assuming stands for aerial tanker. Yeah. Um, and then there's another one called MR for multi-role. The aircraft are identical, but on the AT, which is the tanker, they're going to have an external tank that is to be filled with um, uh, 10,000 liters of fire retardant mounted wow. to the external um, side of the aircraft. Um, so they already have four of these MR aircraft in operation in France. And uh, one of the um, firefighting tankers is um, in Queensland, in Australia, which is another country which has its own problems with um, forest fires. Yeah, they had wildfires. a huge problem the last time. So, um, over the last two years, Conair has gone into this in a big way. They've purchased six new and 13 used Q400s. And one of the rationale they used to pick this aircraft was that it is still in production and Bombardier has a great uh, parts and service um, routines, I mean, facilities. But since then, Bombardier has announced that they are pausing production of the Q400 uh, because they have less than 20 aircraft left uh, to be delivered that have been ordered and they do not want to continue production and make, as they call, white tails. Uh, but now, then, uh, go ahead, Kasha. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm, I really thought the larger the aircraft, the more efficient it would be as a firefighting plane. Like for instance, the 747 that is operating, um, I would say mostly in California, but I believe it was also sent down to Australia last year. Yeah. So I'm surprised an aircraft the size of a Q400 would be the optimal design. I think it's because fighting it, aircraft. it's high wing. Right. And um, it can- and Look at the capacity though. But it probably like, handles better at low altitude. It's really hard to hold a 747. Yes, it is. No I'm sure altitude. it is. Because they have the DC-10s as well now. Yeah. So that might be, um, that might be the reasoning um, behind it. But that's so, fascinating, though. Sorry, I got distracted. There's a bird 
in the um in the backyard and so i got distracted by the bird but i heard what you're saying um that is that is pretty amazing um how they're doing that i'm just imagining the q400 with the belly opening up and uh, a whole bunch of stuff coming through because that's that's quite a lot of modification they they have to make yeah. to it right yes wow and i guess um but it's for any aircraft also. I mean, look at the 747, right? Yeah. Or the DC-10. And you know what? That plane is long. So they, it can, is long. they can put a long tank in there. Or yeah. tanks, probably more than one But tank. it still doesn't seem adequate, though. Um, but yeah. And maybe I'm just trying to think. Uh, it can probably do short field takeoffs better. So if they have to go into an area, yeah. a little remote, a remote. It is a tough aircraft. Yeah. I'd also love to see, uh, I mean, I, I'm assuming that, you know, there's a maximum takeoff weight and all that. So they probably don't mm. have to, um, I guess, do anything to the landing gear or the structure. It might be just minimum, minimal structural changes mm. that they have to make to the plane um, to do that. Yeah. But it would be interesting to see like how they, like I was telling someone how they do, um, uh, you know, so those banner tow planes, Yes, you see all the time. Uh -huh. And uh, I was trying, I was telling someone how they how they put the banners on because they think they take off with the banner and you can't because there's too much drag. Mm. Um, and I was telling them that they they hold the banner across the runway and the airplane comes back around and the the tow bar, the tow line comes out and just dra and the guy swoops in really low or the girl swoops in really low and then picks up that banner and goes. And, Is that right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did not know. I thought they unfolded from the cockpit. <laughs> no. Once they were in the air. No, because it's on the tail. So they just come around, they hold it across the runway, oh, and the airplane goes down really low and then just picks it up. And when they pick it up, it's like all the power in the world. <laughs> and you're pulling out of there. Yeah. Because you can't take off with it attached. Yeah, no, of course not. And you see how big some of them was. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and a few of them were flying around here uh, last November or something like I that. I think around sports so, yeah, facilities. Yeah, and there were some people, there was there one for the elections. Uh, yes. Flying around doing that. Yes. So the interesting thing with those, so that's how that's done. So with these um, planes, I would love to see, you know, like how the whole, you know, they're filling it up, what the inside looks like. So mm -hmm. maybe one of the airline geeks or airplane geeks, or maybe even a Comair, can uh, invite us Conair, up to Conair. Conair, so we can check them out. When I you say, I, they make hair dryers, right, as well? They Doesn't do. Conair? Is that the same company? I don't think so. I don't know. So there's a movie with um, uh, Nicolas Cage. And okay. uh, it's, I think it's actually called Conair. And it's about, um, he's like a, ex, a, a convict. Convicts, right? Yeah, yeah and he's been, of it. he's been transported uh, in the airplane and he escapes or something like that. Uh, so that's what, when, when you said Kanye, yeah. that I was thinking about as well. But no, they, 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 so the, cool, the two cool things about this story is um, I, I, I want to see how they transport the planes from the UK to Abbotsford. Because it's not like it's going to St. John's or something. It's going way across the country to the other side. Um, Once the other they're thing, in Labrador, they should be fine. Yeah, because they're over land, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but still, you know, the whole operation, because remember when they did, um, when aviation started, it was all on cargo and they didn't have any navigation lights or anything like that. So what they used to do is they would have these, um, these people all over the country that would light up these barrels and with, um, with fire. And that is what the pilots would use to navigate across mm. the country. So uh, hmm. that kind of stuff is very, uh, is uh, very amazing. Yeah. All right, um, cool story. Uh, all right, we're gonna switch the airports. Um, we're gonna have one airport story, and um, this is my pet peeve about biometrics. <laughs> What's Kuala Lumpur Airport doing, Kusha? So this is actually one of the last airports I expected to, to take so aggressive a stance with. Um, biometrics, but I think uh -huh. it's a great move. Um, it's part of this initiative by My Airports, which is the code for Malaysia, MY. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an app. And uh, what they want to do is institute this 
uh, initiative called the Single Token Journey, where um, again, and they're disguising this as a safety uh, procedure. So you don't have to really touch anybody or any, not that you would normally go to an airport and touch people, but um, <laughs> minimize contact with uh, other people and uh, things. So what they are doing is that they are instituting these biometric readers um, at 50 self-service kiosks at, at Kuala Lumpur International, KLIA, mm -hmm. 20 check-in counters, and 56 units of e-gates, both in T1 and T2 at KL. Um, the first phase of rollout is expected to be completed in um, the first half of 2021. And um, it is expected to take five seconds for the system to recognize the passenger. And what is most interesting is that foreigners are also eligible to use this. And all you have to do is um, download this My Airports app and uh, follow the instructions to uh, register yourself on the site. Uh, the next okay. step of this is going to be uh, for retail purchases and airport lounges. But um, again, it's, I think it's pretty remarkable that you can do this. And this is from check-in to boarding, including security. Where they're storing oh. my data, Kusho. Yeah. <laughs> at, at least they didn't say, oh, we're not storing your data, because you know they are. They all are. But see, that storage of data, to my knowledge, is not that big a an issue outside the Western world. Well, yes. In I my estimation. I think it's because we don't want, uh, a lot of people use the data for other things. Um, yes. And so... Um, and I think the West is more concerned about that. I mean, yeah. that may be pure ignorance, but I don't think like Africans, Asians, Perhaps South Americans. <clears throat> I guess are, because they're different. Yeah, we're all culturally yeah, different. Yeah, I mean, the government different. already has all the information they yeah. have on us. Already. Right, they already have the data. But, but I think what it is, is that people sell the data. So, so for example, right, yes. my, um, I got an email from my uh, alumni. Or huh. is, that, is that how it works? Yeah. And I'm like, well, one, I never gave you the... the right to yeah the, the email address that it came to i never gave you that email address i yep. never did and i know i never did because i never did and um now your email now you're even mailing something to an address that i never gave you in the first place so which tells me that you use the initial data i gave you you went mm -hmm. and you formed the data against whatever data is out there wherever you got that from and now you have all this thing that you're filling out of me and I'm really pissed off and I'm just going to get off your list and I'm not going to help you with anything because I'm really annoyed at how you acquired the data and so I think because that, that's why frequent flyer databases are so valuable right they've been yes. monetized by so many airlines exactly because they have so much value same with Facebook um that's right because uh, Facebook used to you used to be able to tell um the salary information of people um, but now you oh, they did? Mm -hmm. okay. but, but I couldn't tell that you made $100 or that I made $100. But um, I could tell that people who looked like you made 100 and people who looked like me made 100 in essence, or whatever they, they are. I mean, example. just do like a basic search if you're looking for, I don't know, an electric kettle yeah. one day. The next afternoon, you're going to get bombarded with ads for electric kettles. Right. So that's retargeting, right? And yeah, so, but it's still, right? Yeah, it's using yeah. your data. It's using my practice. So that's when, when some people send me screenshots, I'm like, hmm, <laughs> I could tell what they were doing <laughs> because the ads that they get are based on your internet yep. performance. Um, so not that they're doing anything bad, but you know, just as an, as an example. Um, but yeah, so it, it is interesting how, um, how these things work. And I'm okay with the data sharing as long as you share the stuff that I told you you could share. 
and you don't like go find extra stuff somewhere. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I mean, facial recognition, you have to store my data somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and Remember Ayata said, we talked about this last week, I believe. Yeah. It's all going to be stored on your phone. Yeah, and I don't believe them. I just so. don't. I just don't believe them that that's how they're that that's how they're storing it. Uh, they need to prove that to me somehow <laughs> that this is what they're so. doing. And Ayad is a good organization, right? I mean, and actually, Emirates and Etihad are testing it right now. Yeah, we know it yeah, is. Yeah, to travel up. They always find countries that will test these things that doesn't have, you know. People, people Great are, privacy. Yeah, people are less restrictions. Yeah, you know. Uh, although, uh, right, people aren't that bothered. Uh, but then I guess you still have to go quell your data and say, I only want people from countries that don't have data privacy law or have lax data privacy laws. Um, and, and you know how people are. We we agree to everything because it's too much to read. And we <laughs> complain about well, it. But we can't be bothered. Yeah, because these things are ridiculous. I mean, anyway. Uh, all right, I think that's so. How long did this episode end up taking from our uh, oh, I have estimated no 30 minutes? I didn't even look at your uh, at the thing because I, I, I know that Krishna, that's a guidance. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell that to your audience. Uh, oh, I don't, I don't have the see, I, I have a different computer and the um, I, I don't have the timer thing on here, I didn't look at what time we started. But we've okay. been, yeah, I forgot as well. Actually, it hasn't been too long. I think we probably have. It's it's not an hour, but it's not half an hour. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, dude, the screws won't go away. They keep they're too tame. They keep coming over. Um, all right, I think we got everything. Uh, the Kuala Lumpur Airport was the last one. Uh, yeah. All right. Cool. So. Um, Again, thank you guys for listening and thank you guys for going through these stories. Christian, these are really good stories. I, um, I appreciated those. Um, I think the Dash 8 was probably my favorite story. Yes. I saw <laughs> I felt this was a relatively slower week yeah. in terms of aviation news. <laughs> but, but you know, whenever uh, it, it's, whenever it's a slow aviation week, I'm happy with that, right? It just means that there's not... There's not somebody yelling about, oh, you know, you told me to wear a mask and I don't want to wear it. Although there is some interesting stories about the mask that I, that I found. Um, we'll have to talk about that one offline. <laughs> so. um, all right, cool. So this has been another episode of What's Happening in Travel. Uh, I'm here with my buddy. Bushro. And I'm Kerwin. And we're signing off for this week. But remember, Spotify. Get on Spotify is where we are. Uh, Apple Podcasts, um, download and rate if you can, because um, we do get a lot of downloads, but we just get a lot of downloads straight from the website, which is fine, not complaining. But the whole podcast world is weird, because unless you're like in, in, in Apple Podcasts, nobody knows you exist. So uh, download it through Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, listen, it, listen to it there, and um, so we can actually show up, and uh, that's it. All right, we'll talk soon. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Uh, oops, the wrong button.